Welcome to the EB Brief podcast, where we talk to experts about the present and future of zero emissions transport in Australia and around the world. Well, good evening and welcome to this episode of EB Brief podcast. And tonight I'm actually joined by Danny Tai from zcar.com and Sean Garage. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, 99% I was going to say it right. I was going to say it right. Now, Sean has extensive experience in the EV space uh, in China and has recently returned to Australia. So it's really great to have him on the podcast. Thanks for coming tonight, gentlemen. Thank Thanks. you for having us. It's really good to be here and this, uh, really good to catch up. Yeah, this is casual. We're all friends here. This is just a hangout. So what have you guys been up to in the last couple of weeks uh, in the EV space? What can you talk about? Before we start, we... Uh, Make a toast to our World EV Day oh, today. How could I forget? How could we forget? And it's not the fifth World EV Day yeah. this year, is it? Or I swear I'd hear about this five times a year. No, no, it's <laughs> every the, time. Uh, I think it depends which region you're in. Uh, every every, every, every manufacturer has their own World yeah. EV Day. <laughs> Got it. And every podcaster has their own World EV Day. Huge <laughs> <You> watches. <laughs> so yeah, Danny, talk talk to us about what's been happening in your week. I know you've been up to some things. Uh, yeah, actually, earlier in the week, uh, MG launched uh, the refreshed MGZS EV. So Australia's now cheapest, lowest priced EV at forty four thousand nine ninety. And uh, yeah, went to the launch event at the uh, Museum of Contemporary Arts, and uh, yeah, had a ball. I, Do you get the sense that MG is positioning this car as a premium product um, from the marketing, from the experience? Definitely, the party. Uh, was more befitting of a uh, Mercedes, <laughs> a Mercedes electric car. So definitely that was the how the party felt. What uh, was it about? It was it light shows and dancing and all of the above plus more. Uh, yeah, and lots of uh, influences. So yeah. first time I've been to one of these events. So yeah, just saw quite a few of the uh, I think EV influences like uh, Tesla Tom. Mm. Or is he called Tesla Tom? Or is yeah, he Ludicrous Tom? Speed Tom. Um, Tesla Tom yeah. Quite a few, like, I guess, TikTok EV influencers that I'd kind of seen and, uh, yeah, they were there and lots of, I guess, other influencers mm-hmm. who I've never heard of. But yeah, no, it was a really good party and I uh, look forward to going to more of these events. Mm-hmm. What about you, Sean? Been up to anything in the last couple of weeks? Um, well, I've been keeping on the, uh, an eye on the EV space in China since I've returned. Mm-hmm. Um, so just for, just for a bit of background, um, I was five years in total in China. Sort of moved around. I was studying for a bit, um, but previously worked at, at Tesla in Melbourne. Um, so my my uh, sort of my drive was to, to 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 move into the EV space in China because that's where it was all happening. And Tesla at that time in Australia was that was twenty sixteen. Um, Tesla felt like and acted like and functioned like a startup at that stage, and the market was tiny. And we had the Model S, the Model X, Model Three was a, a um, it was a unicorn that no one thought was ever getting to market. <laughs> um, and it, the Chinese market was so much more exciting at that time and, and still is. Um, so I moved uh, to a company, it's a Chinese electric car startup based in Shanghai called WM Motor. Um, and I was based there for, for three years working at that company, uh, mostly focused on trying to get the cars out of China into Europe mm. um, and exporting there. So trying to see what I can bring back from that experience to Australia, especially since the markets, well, what we're hearing is the market's set to kick off here as well. Um, and we'll finally get past that two, three percent 
uh, penetration rate. Well, let's talk about that before. Uh, how's your Chinese? Uh, I got fluency. So I studied it for a long time um, before I went to China. Mm. WM Motor, I was the only foreigner, except for my boss, who was the chief strategy officer, a guy named Rupert Mitchell, um, ex-Goldman Sachs uh, executive. Mm. Uh, he, uh, him and myself, he was based in Hong Kong, I was in Shanghai. And I was the only foreigner in the company that spoke, uh, that was that was based there uh, on the mainland. It's bloody um, impressive, mate. So that meant that I had to engage, I had to speak Chinese at every meeting. My emails were in Chinese. Oh my God. Face-to-face interactions with colleagues were all in Chinese. So oh, yeah. I had no choice. <laughs> um, but I wanted to, and that was the goal, right? Mm. So I came out of it with a lot um, in the language side and also um, the experience of working for a Chinese leader at the start. It was interesting and, um, yeah, I, I didn't regret it. Mate, kudos to you. It's an incredibly hard language to learn. Jonathan, how's your Chinese? <laughs> um, not even schoolboy Chinese. I went to school, but you, you know, you really have to just continually practice writing and speaking, don't you, every day? Writing, writing, you can do away with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> typing on a keyboard comes with reading, <clears throat> um, and it comes with speaking. <clears throat> so if you've got both of those, you can type because <clears throat> they use a system called Pinyin, <clears throat> um, and that that allows you to use a Western keyboard to <clears throat> type out Chinese characters. You can recognize them. And, but you'll never be in a position as a foreigner where you're writing in Chinese. So as soon as you do away with that part of it, you start to improve at three times the rate mm-hmm. you were before. Because mm-hmm. 90% of your time will be taken up just learning how to write characters. Yeah. Well, Jonathan and I are half Chinese and I can't speak a word. <laughs> so kudos to you. Yeah. Well, China's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think a lot of people have preconceptions about Chinese product, um, you know, with, with some... Um, with some truth, I suppose. In the past, Chinese product has been pretty average, um, but there's been a point around probably what mid 2000s, 2010 onwards, that Chinese product has really moved away from value to quality, yeah. and primarily because Chinese consumers have been demanding it. And I think Western countries have been have been sleeping and have not realised that China is now a serious contender. Yeah, and that and I think they see the EV space as a opportunity for them to, because when you look at the context of where China was with its auto industry, you know, they've, they've been in the auto market making vehicles in China for about 30 years, but already because China is such an efficient manufacturer, it has an efficient manufacturing system, they're already at one in every four cars that's built globally is built in China. Um, so the speed at which they've been able to develop their, their own capabilities, and part of that was because of the joint ventures that were mandated that foreign companies had to had to um, join with the Chinese uh, OEM if they wanted to operate in China. Part of it was due to that, um, but another part of it is that is it's China is simply the most um, advanced and the most um, efficient manufacturing hub in the world. Just ask Tim Cook how he would feel about making three hundred million iPhones in the continental US exactly. or in Europe, yeah. right? and it's not just about the labour. China's got the engineers and it's yeah. got the technical skills to make these um, these products. Well, yeah. an electric car is like a mobile phone and large battery on wheels, effectively, yeah. right? So, but the, the the problem that they had faced in the thirty years build up to now was that the the auto industry has existed for one hundred and thirty years, right? So, China's been in a position where they've been playing catch up with the rest of the world with internal combustion and new mm-hmm. technology, which put them in a position where the cars that they do sell domestically and overseas uh, 
had to play the value card, right? So they had to be priced at the lower end of the, of the market, but they had to spec to their foreign competitors. Mm. Foreign competitors had the, had the branding, they had the recognition, so they could price ahead of them. But now EV has set, because of the history of China's involvement in electric vehicles, it all started with a guy, and I'm probably going to get added by a million um, Tesla fanboys for this. <laughs> but, um, okay, they don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the EVs globally were accelerated by predominantly one man, uh, Chinese, uh, was a Communist Party member, a member of the CCP, uh, called Wang Gang. He was in the, I think it was before 2000, he was working for Audi in a factory, in their factory in, in Germany. And he was headhunted by the Minister of Technology in, um, in, in, in Germany when he came to visit the factory. Right. Ten years later, Wang Gang held that same position in, in the Chinese Communist Party, yeah. right, in the CCP. And it was his white paper published in the early 2000s, which was, a, it was a, essentially a, a solution for the Chinese government to resolve a lot of the issues that they had faced. Three of the major ones were um, the pollution issue. Clean air was a yeah. huge public debate at, at that time. Um, then there was the reliance on foreign oil, uh, imported oil. China doesn't really produce any of its own oil that goes into its vehicles. And then the third was uh, the issue I mentioned before with the auto industry, they were playing catch up. So they never got to that point where they were, they were leaders in automotive technology. And the white paper that Wang Gang published set the precedent, well, to, to resolve these issues by leapfrogging the market and making China a leader in um, electric vehicle and smart vehicle technology. Right? So that, that initiated the billions of dollars of Chinese government investment in the industry in China um, in the early 2000s that set the world on this trajectory that, that we're on today. So a lot of people look at Elon as, as, as the sort of mastermind behind where we are yeah. today. But it really goes all the way back to even before the 2000s in China when Wang Gang was thinking about this problem and he brought it to the, to the Chinese government. So, and it was all of this that culminated in where China is today and all of the startups that you see today that are, that are still benefiting from these government subsidies yeah. uh, have, have Chinese subsidies and um, government support to thank for that. So that is that's a really interesting that is, that is really, really super interesting because I feel like sometimes living, growing up here, we're not exposed to the same history mm. um, that I guess that is global, right? Mm. So it's really always interesting to hear the other side. Um, uh, and and often there is parallel innovation happening all around the right, world, right. right? And we just don't know about it. Mm. It's probably no surprise when you look at some of the EV companies coming out of Australia, up yeah. across Australia, China, yeah. and the product they're developing. Like it is yeah. world-class mm. and premium world-class. And of course the other part of the equation now is software. Um, yeah. That's mm. the great leveler in water manufacturing now, because the Chinese can do software as good as anyone else. Mm. Um, yeah. And or, or better than the Germans, might I say. Exactly. <laughs> and you know what? And it could be potentially better, could be world leading, right? Because yeah. what happened in China was they also kind that they kind of leaped from desktop use and went straight to mobile. Mm. So they use mobiles like we don't use here. Like they have like basically their lives are in their mobiles, yeah. right? They're, WeChat, which is the equivalent of WhatsApp, you can live your life and do mm -hmm. your, everything there. It's Amazon, it's WhatsApp, it's everything in mm -hmm. one. 
So eventually the car's probably going to be someone like that one day, right? I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's already like, like that in China right now. We just don't have any Chinese cars here yet. Yeah. Um, but they come. And a key element of, of China's development of its, of its electric vehicles, and a lot of people forget about this, it's also in that connectivity side of things. <clears throat> that, that's allowed a lot of the EV startups to create um, more awareness of their products because mm. they're the innovators in bringing 5G to vehicles, they're the innovators in bringing uh, connectivity functions through, you know, you can have your equivalent of Netflix on your on yeah. dashboard screen. It'll read your, uh, it'll, uh, facial, facial recognition technology will load up all of your profiles onto your screen in your vehicle and get in your Facebook, or Facebook equivalent, WeChat, uh, your yeah. calendars, your all your phone notifications are all appear on I'm sure you can do food delivery. I'm sure you can do everything, right? Full-blown e-commerce. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we make a big deal out of Tesla's being able to just plug in and not, you know, not having to download an app to charge. Mate, I think, I'm sure you can probably buy pizza from your car um, from some of these friends. Get it delivered to your car, yeah. probably with a drone. So that, that's yeah. a true test of smart yeah. connectivity. Yeah, yeah, can yeah. you get a pizza? Oh, <laughs> we'll get, we'll get I think Neo yeah. has WeChat integrated into its uh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. I'm a big fan of Neo and I really hope they come to Australia. Yeah. Like their cars look sleek. Yeah. Well, they've pushed into Norway. and uh, Through Norway, they've announced uh, a strategy for the US. The US, I think right. they're, they're in other Western European markets. Yeah. Um, what do you reckon of the car? What do you reckon of the business model where they provide a battery leasing program? Um, I think it's Well, talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, it certainly works for the Chinese market, don't you think? It works to a, a certain extent. Um, I think it it's better from an OEM perspective that you retain ownership of the battery. Um, it is the most expensive component, and you have to warranty that as you would the rest of the vehicle. And actually, the expectation is you can provide a warranty for eight years or more. Um, but under that warranty, if there is something that goes wrong with the battery and the ownership is on the customer, they come back to you expecting full replacement, right? Um, but if you if you own that vehicle, uh, that battery and you lease that battery out to, to to customers to have in the vehicles that they own, right? It, it changes the equation for the OEM. Mm. So they've retained ownership. They have full resale uh, ownership of all of these batteries. And also, when it comes time to maintenance, you don't have to provide a battery straight away to uh, a customer. Well, you will because all they do is they go to a battery source station and they swap it out. There's no rental car loan. Mm program or anything like that um, and then you bring that battery in and you work on that battery as as you wish right and there's, there's no customer expectation you can get a battery fixed within a certain period of time because they just they just go ahead and replace that or, or, or swap it you can also offer a cheaper price to the customer for the vehicle then can't you because they're essentially leasing uh, that battery is that how it works yeah so in the case of neo they pay a subscription right so I had a look at the subscription, and it's mm. roughly um, what you would pay for, like, I guess petrol per month. Mm. I think roughly that um, the equivalent of what you would pay for petrol uh, or like would it be energy. Um, but you, but then uh, the cost reduction is like 10, roughly ten thousand US. I remember, like, if you were to buy it with the battery, it's yep. eighty thousand. Without the battery in the leasing program, it's about seventy thousand US. Oh, okay. I don't want to get too granular into this, but does that then include like X number of swaps per month or something, or does that include that charging as well? Or? Yeah, I think it includes uh, a certain amount. 
I don't know what the number is. Yeah. Um, okay. But I think as uh, why I think it works in China is because one, it's just a massive market. <laughs> Two, um, they have much higher uh, density living in apartments, where obviously charging um, is a lot more difficult. Um, so there's a greater need for that in China, um, so it can work. Um, and in the future, and as mobility increasingly intersects with energy, um, they're going to be able to utilize those batteries uh, more efficiently than kind of the average household would, right? Because they can, yeah. you know, stack them together and charge and discharge them, right? And um, I guess uh, take advantage of arbitrage opportunities in the energy markets. The thing that gives me pause about Nero's program, because they're, they're the company in China that's pushing ahead hardest uh, on battery swapping this technology. I think CATL have announced their own program for battery swapping, which is going to partially work with, partially compete with Nero's program. I don't understand it. Mm. Yeah. Also, um, you probably saw Nero's announce that it's going to be developing its own 4680 cells in-house. Yes. Uh, which is yes. interesting. But the, my concern around a lot of focus on battery swapping. Yeah. It's it's a lot of investment for yeah. you because know, every battery swapping station is millions of dollars, right? Yeah. To set up is that innovations in battery technology four years down the track, five years down the track, get us to that thousand mile mm -hmm. battery, yeah. right? And yeah. who needs to swap when you got a thousand miles? And, yeah, um, the people who can't afford the thousand mile battery. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But how long yeah. is that? Right? Yeah. How long does this investment pay off? Yeah, no, no they're good points, uh, and also the fact that they're probably all going to have. They're not going to be interchangeable between brands, mm. so no, it's which will make it connections. Yeah, yeah. In an ideal world, everyone's got the same kind of like, I guess, pack design, and you can swap between brands, which would improve the economics, right? Mm. It's all about utilization. Or the better charging. place tried that, right? Yeah. Um, the Israeli company in Australia with the Renaults. Yeah. Do you see the potential future for battery swapping in Australia? I don't know. I don't. I don't. No one's going to make a call on it. No. <laughs> well, better, better place. They they tried to make an entry into Australia. I don't think they sold any vehicles in Australia. But they had they had a team well. set up. They, they had, had a brand manager here. Yeah. They had a they had a yeah. management team that was gun ho ready to set it up. And it was the founder. What's his name? Agassi. Yeah, I think it's Jack. That's, that's the guy. I think. Yeah, that's the guy. <laughs> the rhymes with that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he saw Australia as a perfect market for the company because all of the well, most of the infrastructure for electric vehicles is sort of already Shai Agassi. Shai Agassi. Yes. The one. Right, I knew it right with Jai. Uh, <laughs> he oh, the infrastructure in terms of the poles and wires and the capacity because Australia's got the largest grid network in the world. Um, the capacity to provide the energy to electric vehicles is already here. It's already set up. And the poles and wires run across the main highways yeah. linking the major cities. Yeah. Right? So all you have to do is install a substation, yeah. link up DC fast chargers. Um, if, it's, if it's not that, then you have every 200 kilometers, you have your battery swap station set yeah. up and ready to go. It's the perfect market because the only time anyone's going to be traveling long enough to justify a battery swap is if they're traveling between... Sydney Melbourne yeah. or Sydney Brisbane, right? And in that case, they're taking one highway to get there. All you need to do is electrify that highway mm. there. Yeah. So they had they the had concept. the concept there, but uh, the timing was not good. Yeah. <laughs> to make that work right, it would need really high utilization. So then that means you need really high penetration of EVs. Yeah. So and at that time, I think was it 10, 15 years ago now? No, maybe, maybe 10 or something. Yeah. Like and the product was wrong. 
Yeah. And in such a small market, like small Australia, market with right. a big Renault sedan, yeah. it's yeah. not the right Whereas in China, Neo, people aren't yeah. necessarily using it for highways, they're using it because they don't have access to yeah. on-site charging. Yeah. So it's a slightly different model. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, look, I, I, I can't see that model working in Australia just because of, um, I, I want, yeah, I think if you're going to do the highway model, you need really high utilization. Okay. Um, but there is a need there. Uh, but like for people that don't have access to charging in urban areas, that market's too small in Australia. Yeah. Like 80 to 90% of people charge at home. Um, and increasingly, look, maybe the people that live in apartments will start buying EVs, that number might come down. But then you're going to have access to charging probably at work uh, by the curbside. So, yeah, I just can't see that working in Australia personally. Well, while we're on it, let's pivot to charging in Australia now because there's a lot been happening in the last few weeks and months in that space. Um, we all live in a city, um, so charging is important to, to us, but we're the sort of people who, we don't drive massive kilometres for work every day, so EVs definitely suit our lifestyle. So what what is the future of charging networks in Australia? Like, I'm more interested in what, what's the business model for this going forward? Who do you think is going to uh, gonna win this charging game? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. That's a, plus, and we've all noticed, there's a lot of like fast charge providers out there, right? They're not making much money, are they? No, there's right now what only what 10 or 20 percent of charging is done publicly, mm. and yeah, probably half of that may be like fast DC charging. Yeah, so that's a pretty small market. And these fast chargers cost a lot of money. I yeah. think I read it, there was an article written in Gizmodo a few days ago. Oh, yeah, and I think to deploy a fast charger it costs like at least $250,000 to deploy, mm. and then you've got the, one single fast charger, yeah, apparently. Wow. Um, because you got to think about all the approvals that you need. Yeah. I, thought, I thought the like the tritium um, fifty kilowatts might have been sub six figures, but still. Well, it's just a charger, right? And you yeah, got the yeah, works. Got yeah, the no, no, serious investments. Council, council, um, cable rights, yeah. yeah, it's quite a bit going on there. So, so you've got you've got Amp Charge and Costco, which have just yeah. announced networks in Australia as well. Um, how do these guys make money? Well, and you, and provide good well, service. Utilization. A lot of people got to use it. Yeah. And, so they're playing uh, long game. Yeah, long game, but. My understanding is most of the fast charges that have been deployed in Australia have been either fully or partly government subsidised. Um, so that's not a true test of the economics. The true test is when they start building these unsubsidised and whether they can make their money. Mm. Um, I think, and that's a question still to be answered. Tesla can do it because they can cross subsidise their charges, the sales of the cars, the subscriptions they get from full self-driving mm. at, what is it, $15,000 a year now. <laughs> um, but these other independent providers, they don't have that benefit. Mm. They have to play the pure um, commercial model where we have to make money from people charging. So that means you need really high utilization. Yeah. Um, Tesla were lucky in the, in a way, it's probably at the time it seemed like the biggest challenge to their, the adoption of their vehicles globally was the lack of charging infrastructure, mm -hmm. right? And they didn't have any choice but to go ahead and, yeah. Uh, Whatever they were, charge forward and do it themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And that went from being a huge expense on the company's balance sheet every quarter to becoming one of the major forms of revenue, not because of utilization, mm -hmm. but because if you're in the US, you're in Australia, you think about buying an electric car, the supercharger network is a massive selling point for Tesla. Like if you think about the amount of people that have that have gone with Tesla because of the access that they get to that network it's 
it'll be immense. They've pr- probably paid off twice the amount that they invested. They sure, one hundred percent. And it's uh, worked out really well for them. But the reality is, right in Australia, most people can charge at home. If you can charge at home, Jonathan, would you charge at home or would you go and drive? To a I mean, that's charge? that's the whole point of you know disconnecting from the big oil companies. You know, you're you're charging at home on your terms. Yeah. You're not having to drive somewhere to fill up. Yeah, and so, ideally, so, yeah. you know, a country like Australia, uh, you're lucky enough to put solar panels on your home. Yeah, it's free. It's effectively free. So what's the answer with AC charging? And we're seeing European countries and China as well. You're getting, they're going nuclear on AC units, basically, you know, 7 to 22 kilowatt units in shopping centres, airports. Is this where we need to go? Um, Is this what we need to do in suburban streets as well? Well, There's there's benefits for companies. I know Ampol recently, is that Ampol charged? Yeah, DC charging. So they've announced that they're entering the game. Yeah, I think they already have some working DC chargers. So yeah, I visited too. They've got uh, at their, Alexandria at stations. So yeah. I think the plan is to deploy them. I read somewhere to 120 or 150. Right. Um, so the the benefit the, there's obvious benefits for corporates that you know if you're a shopping center you can attract mm. a certain number of buyers who want to stay for a certain amount of time so they can charge their vehicle for free. In Ampol's case, uh, Ampol don't really make much money off selling petrol or diesel to customers anyway. They make most of their money off having people come in and buy a Snickers bar. Right? <laughs> I, so, I did exactly that. I never eat Snickers. Right. I'm like, I'm here, I'm going to buy Snickers. If you're an airball, you, you get a Snickers. It's really funny to think about it. Um, and if people are there for longer, that's an obvious benefit yeah. to airball and to, to Shell and to the other um, yeah, traditional. It's about, it's about rethinking, I suppose, the, the energy fueling experience because, you know, a lot of people always give me shit for say that on my podcast you've been like oh you've got to sit around waiting for your car to charge it's like well no you know you do this as part of something else you do this as part of shopping as part of getting a bike to eat whatever so i think we need to transition away from this notion that you you go and park and charge and you wait but you're actually you've got these spaces that are now multi-purpose you know they're yeah. workspaces they're entertainment spaces they're doing this in germany now yeah. and things so yeah and petrol, petrol stations you have to put them up in by, by definition of where you have yeah. to place them, it's not a fun place to be. No. But electricity is everywhere. So you can put EV charges in, in places that people want to spend more time. Yeah, exactly. So it's not just going to be petrol stations. Uh, that is one place you can go. Um, so what about street side charging? Because that's that's a big issue at the moment for people talking about, well, I've got an apartment, I don't have a parking spot. I don't want to go to Ampol. So how do I charge on my street? What should local councils be looking at? Are we, are we looking at... Uh, conduits with access to charge points up and down a street. My, my thought is maybe two or three uh, dedicated EV bays every two or three streets, sort of like you have car share spaces now, and you might have sort of 35 to 45 kilowatt kind of sort of medium speed charging. So I, I think the great thing about curbside charging is mm. the electrical infrastructure is it's there. there. That's right. Yeah. So the poles, all the wires on the ground, they're already there. And you've got Jolt so, utilising the, the transformer boxes the too. The yeah. Bounce, yeah. Um, so, interestingly, Jolt, uh, the, the return they get on their uh, charges is not just through energy. Mm. Um, they obviously um, have arrangements with advertisers. So, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And in my opinion, there's probably more value in advertising and the understanding of the customer than there is in something pure electronics. So, energy. Well, it was pretty cheap. It's getting more expensive now. Um, but you know, like it's going to moderate eventually. And, you know, 
there's just not as much money to be made from selling electron, like electricity yeah. as there is, say, through petrol. So if the likes of Ampol make slim margins on petrol, it's going to be even slimmer electricity, particularly because electricity is distributed and democratised. You can make it at home. Yeah. If you've got a solar system, you can make it at home. So why would you go and charge somewhere else? Um, but yeah, for the ones that don't have access to charging at home, um, I think curbside charging is going to be a really key solution because it's cheap to deploy if the infrastructure is already there. Mm. You um, and you can scale up the infrastructure as EV uptake increases. There's no, um, you know, like with DC fast charger, you know, there's a high capital cost to deploy because mm. there's the charger itself and the electrical infrastructure and potential upgrades to the network that are needed. Whereas with AC charging, which outputs at what, seven, 11 kilowatts, it's not high power, infrastructure's already there, scale up over time. So I see that as being a really, really um, key part of the overall EV charging so mm. there's already quite a few projects I think that are about to kick off in Australia. So mm. in the next twelve to twenty-four months is it's going to be interesting. And it frustrates me to high hell how far behind Australia is with its EV uptake, right? And that's part of, as I mentioned, that's why I fled to China to, <laughs> to actually partake in a market that's doing something. Four four percent yeah. last month. Four percent. Oh, oh really? We we passed the three percent. No, five point, was it five point five or four? But anyway, uh, no, it was for Tesla. Uh, the Model Three was the fourth best-selling car. Yeah, and I think the uh, EV uh, penetration was five point five percent, or mm. maybe it was four point five. Anyway, it's high. It's growing, right? You're going to doubt. You're going to doubt me on my own podcast. One of them. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I want to fact check you. All right, but go. You Just go. me. It was the fourth best-selling car. That's correct. At twenty-two something units, I think. But anyway, oh, it is. It is. so Tesla had a three point six percent share. Oh no, you're right. Four point four percent. So we were both right. It's pretty. As if five point four four. It was 4. Still, 4. still close to me, but yeah. Not. This is why it's Jonathan's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the point I wanted to make is, even though it's as frustrating as that is, it does mean that Australia gets to benefit from seeing what's worked everywhere else. So there's already countries that have that have pushed forward. Um, you look at the UK, the, the yeah. speed at which they deployed curbside charging. Um, there's Bellier Street in the city centre of London and you, you can't find a curbside charger now. Uh, all we have to do is look at what works everywhere else and at least within the dense metro areas, you just apply what's worked. But that, see, that, that's really interesting because I think, you know, places like London and California, there's a carrot and stick approach and then you've got these uh, ZLEVs and UZLEVs, the ultra low emission zones, where you actually cannot drive with an ICE vehicle into these central areas. And that therefore obviously forces this transition to EVs immediately and allows the infrastructure to be implemented rapidly and cost efficiently. State government in New South Wales has categorically said a number of times, we're never doing a congestion charge. You're never, you're never going to get that here. So, how do you drive people into electric vehicles to rapidly improve this infrastructure? And what, I suppose, what should the national strategy be? We've seen the Labor government talk about uh, a discussion paper coming up next month on electrification strategy. Where should we be going with that here? I think to start, there needs to be, at least from the federal government, there needs to be a commitment to net zero by a yep. certain amount because that sets the date that gets everyone else in motion. Did we get that this week? Did I see... Mm. Date or did I just say the bill was passed? Was that just the 23% target? Um, is it 2050? Uh, 
Did you get it? <laughs> if we did, there's not nearly enough coverage on it because that completely went over my head. But yeah. I've been watching the news this week, but I saw the 43% passed. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. But it's as far as I'm aware, currently it's not as clear-cut as we want to be net zero by 2050. Yeah. There's other countries that are committed to sooner, right? Mm. Um, and once we have that, it, it sets the, the yardstick for the rest of the polluting industries, including the transport totally, industry, totally. to start work, right? Because if it's 2050, yeah. that means that automotive needs to be at net zero in terms of new car sales by 2035. Yeah. You need to be 15 years ahead, at yeah. least. Um, so, so it's 43% by 2030 and net zero by 2050. Oh, that's at the no, it is 2050. national yeah. level, right? Yeah, but that's sure. just for, that's for energy generally. But to increase uptake of EVs, you know, I know in Europe they've got obviously the efficiency standards mm. um, that the manufacturers need to abide by, which don't apply here. Do you think we need that here? How does that work? Um, I think they need to meet a certain level of like overall Oh, uh, with the, the credit the credit, credit trading, trading. Yeah. you've got the, the overall fleet um, emissions. Yeah. I think well, you need you need that. That's another key step because we have a voluntary system here with the FCAI, I believe. Correct. Yep. Um, but the extent that that policy is deployed in China, in mm. Europe, mm. means that if you're a if you're an OEM operating in that market, you do not have a viable automotive business unless you are trading electric vehicles as yeah. well, yeah. right? Um, so you can be, I don't want to name names, but you can be a, a, an auto maker that sells zero EVs and you, you a, a whole chunk of your revenue flows back into yeah. buying credits from other, from other companies. Mm -hmm. The fact that Australia doesn't have a similar system in place means that there is no incentive when supply is short right. for yeah. automakers to bring yeah, vehicles yeah. here. Right, so we're, we're a small market for one, but also without a tra uh, credit trading scheme, it means that OEMs building EVs that have the products available, everything that they have in their or hands goes to Europe or yeah, it goes exactly. to China. Yeah. And that's been Volkswagen Australia's key um, point. They say, well, it's up to the government. We want to bring them here, but until the policy levers change, yeah. our hands are tied. And that's yeah. why there's the fear of Australia becoming the dumping ground. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there's going to be a market where they can just deploy these um the, yeah yeah i think it, it and we've seen this again we, we can benefit from seeing the rest of the world see what they've done when i was when i first got to shanghai right just as an example and this is a lot of people talk about how fast the chinese market developed and it did almost 90 percent came down to government good government policy that, that, that pushed it forward Right, so when I got to Shanghai, the, Shanghai is a, a, it's literally like winning the lottery getting a, a, a fossil fuel plane, right? yeah. because they want to reduce the amount of cars on the yeah. road in, in the major cities. So you're, if, you're, if you're buying a blue fossil fuel plane, you put your name down into the lottery system. The average wait time at that time was three years hmm. right, to get your plane. And on top of that, you had to pay the equivalent of about 11,000 US dollars to get a hold of that, even after you've won the lottery, wow. right? And what they did was they introduced the, the, a policy whereby if you applied for a green play, not only did you get to skip the queue, but you also, they waived that $11,000 
So that that's just an example of how strong these policies need to be. Battery electric vehicles, so pure electric, and also plug-in hybrids as well. Or? I think it was plug-in hybrids yeah. as well. Because yeah. plug-in hybrids are eligible for a green plug. Well, in EVs, aren't they? In EVs, yeah. yeah. China calls Not in Australia, though. Like, uh, you still get the yeah. EV uh, tag, even if you're just a standard hybrid. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose that's for emergency services point of view. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. My, if, uh, my daughter's been asking about electric cars. She's like, oh, not the EV. I'm like, oh, no, that's not a... That's just the hybrid, but she's like, oh, it's got the EV sound on it. And I was like, I was like, oh, so now I can't explain this to her. <laughs> I can't even explain it to myself. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, it's definitely, yeah, it's not charging. It's plug-in. Yeah. yeah. And New, New Zealand's gone gung-ho, mm. right? So they, they have the, what is it, $4,600 uh, taxpayer-funded yeah. credit for electric vehicles. And then they and they're hitting negatively the discriminated against. Uh, yeah, right. pickups. Uh, yeah. Heavy cars with intensive yeah. emissions. Well, they got the BYD out of three before we did. They did. Mm. Like, we were told about the O three, obviously, um, you know, early in the year. And, you know, I think deliveries are starting, I think they started last week. Um, but yeah, New Zealand already got them. So. That's a really nice segue back into product. So that's, yeah. <laughs> We've done full circle. <laughs> We've done full circle, yeah. So what, what are you most looking forward to this year, product-wise? Uh, probably the uh, BYD out of three. Just because for me, I see that as kind of like a, a tipping point for the industry mm. in terms of like a car that is both meets the needs of a lot of uh, drivers, mm. uh, you know, good range. Um, I think it's rated at 420 kilometers WLTP, um, great technology um, and affordable. Um, I think the short, you know, the standard range retails at 44. I believe, and um, the extended range 47. I'll head to zcar.com yeah, to check those numbers. Yeah. Check it out. We've got a great write up on it. Uh, the average SUV in Australia, I think, is 43,000. So you're not far off that, right? Yeah. And then when you factor in the savings from fuel, mm-hmm. service, and maintenance, uh, yeah, you'll pay that cap off pretty quick. So, um, electric cars are just amazing to drive. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yes, we know. just like, I feel bad. Like, I don't have my car. So I've, I've actually ordered an Auto 3, so I may be a bit biased. Oh, um, drop the mic. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, I, we cover all cars. We try to cover them objectively. Um, we try to view it from a you know, technology standpoint. What are you getting for your money? Tech wise, what are you getting feature wise? Mm. Cut through the marketing. Obviously, some brands benefit from uh, marketing more than others. What car are you getting for your money? You know, I believe up until recently, the Model 3 was the best electric car you get for your money mm. right, overall electric car um, i think the other three may challenge for that title mm. what what, what um factored into the value equation um well the other three or just my view on just your view on if tesla was number one yeah why was that i think okay. just if you're going to buy an electric car um what's well, 30 grand difference now isn't it 75 yeah. versus 45 so it's yeah yeah so my criteria is really the uh, well, obviously range. You know, how much range are you getting? The technology that underpins the battery, um, the drivetrain, um, then also the infotainment and um, driver assist system. So all of the above. Uh, and uh, I think the Model Three, when it was priced at nine nine hundred, that was a steal, absolute steal. Um, we also have an order for a Model Three as well because. Uh, <laughs> 
after I ordered the Auto 3, I told my wife, and uh, she said, oh, I don't want anything but a Tesla. So <laughs> That's because she read your report. That it was yeah. <laughs> so then I, um, yeah, so we also put in a deposit for Model 3, which we're waiting for. And uh, I think we'll, uh, we'll drive both for a period of time, because we both kind of drive. I don't think we really need two cars, but it would be good to mm. own both and experience both. And I think then we'll decide which one we keep longer term because ultimately we don't need two cars. It's a nice to have and it's also expensive mm. to own. Um, yeah, still got to pay insurance. <laughs> what are you most looking forward to, Sean, in the EV space this year? Product wise. Product wise. Yeah. Um, something, something that stands out? Commercial lands. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I am looking forward to seeing some more movement in the commercial space. Yeah, um, yeah. We, we need it. There's nothing really that, because we have a lot of blue chip uh, multinational companies that have mandates from head office, wherever they are, um, to go full EV by a certain date, right? And Australia is a tough market for them to, 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 to crack. Yeah. And if it's a global announcement that a lot of these companies want to make, Australia's going to be that one market that embarrasses them where they can't say we're 100% EV. Mm -hmm. um, so if we can get more electric vans, uh, like commercial vehicles, like pickups on the market, and there are rumors that there are, there are products, there is product coming, um, I think that's going to be a game changer for the market here. Yeah, 100%. Well, when it comes to EVs, right, like where do you get your most savings from? Like the more you drive, right? The more you drive means the more you save on fuel, the more you save on maintenance, servicing. Um, you know, as people that drive electric cars out and about with our families, we don't drive that much. Who drives a lot? The commercial, you know, yeah. the commercial drivers. And they're also, it's, you know, it's the most polluting mm. vehicle yeah. sector, I suppose, in transport. You know, they're, they're dirty diesels, you know, there's a lot of particulate matter. Yeah. They're the cars that need to be cleaned up. They also have the potential to offer the biggest savings to exactly. small business owners and tradies and things. You know, right so. now, there's just none available, right? Yeah. Up until, when was the kangaroo phased out? Like, up oh, until that, there was there's, there's nothing now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So New Zealand recently, they launched the electric LDV ute, didn't they? And I think that's potentially coming here next year from what we've heard. So I think if there's one in Australia, one electric ute, that's really going to be a game changer for the other OEMs. And the ute will be a game changer for, the, apart from the fact that it's targeting the commercial space, it's starved of options Yeah. Uh, today. It's also, what is the ute, what's the pickup market? As a proportion well, of new car sales in Australia, it's oh, it's, yeah, it's got like it, out of the U, top ten sales, they take about three or four spots. It's, right? yeah, yeah, Hilux, it's, Triton, it's huge. Yeah, right. that's it's a massive yeah. market. And I think Hilux was was Hilux the best selling car last I think year so, I think so. in Australia. So if if there is if there are more EVs coming, if we get the Rivians, mm. if we get the F one fifties Lightning to Australia, I think that they're just going to explode here. Yeah, as Ford has seen, you know, electrifying the number one selling car in America ever is a no-brainer from a business point of view, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we need more of that. Maybe, I'll, you, do, I'll, maybe I'll do a total cost of ownership analysis on the electric unit yeah. or the uh, LDV when it comes. Yeah. I think that yeah. must be interesting. Well, you know, you're seeing a lot more of the Chinese uh, commercial vehicles and pickups in Australia. There's People don't have any problems driving them because they're, they're good vehicles. So. Oh, mate, I've talked to a few tradies who are driving a Great Wall Motor. Yeah. Uh, use. They love it. Yeah. I never would have thought that people would love Great Wall Motor cars, but they do. 
And, um, and the internal combustion engine. Cars. Yeah. Imagine how good the EVs are going to be. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And I think back, back to the point I made at the start is mm -hmm. once we get a higher volume of electric vehicles from China, that value equation is going to change in people's minds where China's at the mm -hmm. forefront of electric vehicle technology and innovation. And then those products that come in here, people are going to start to change their thinking about Chinese made yeah. cars. But we're also seeing even all the premium product coming to Australia now, Polestar 2, BMW iX3, um, the Model 3, Model 3, yeah, the Model Y, Model y yeah. all made in China. People forget and that. And what? If you look at the, if you listen to the feedback around consumer satisfaction, around kind of like um, the build quality oh. of China made versus Fremont made in the yeah. US, it's night and day. It is, yeah. yeah. Uh, Anecdotally, it's night, it's night and day. And I've driven uh, all of those, and the iX3, it feels more solid than any South African or German BMW I've driven. It's just, Solid, yeah, it's beautiful. You can't fault the build quality, and that's what China's producing these days. Yeah, where was the the, the second country that Elon Musk chose to produce Teslas? Mm. China. Yeah, it just made sense. I mean, it made sense for it to have a manufacturing hub base in Asia, but he could have chosen from a lot of different countries in yeah. Southeast Asia. But it, it for him, China made sense for that uh, reason because of this quality, insurance quality, but also the economics, right? I understand that the Model 3 in Australia is cheaper than what it is in the US. And I believe that's because we're benefiting from, you know, cheaper production costs in China. Mm. So really, I think we should be thankful that uh, they're making them out of China because that's, to some degree, making them a little bit more accessible um, to Australians, right? Uh, you know, $64,000 for a Model 3 base model is still a lot of money, but it's better than $70,000. Mm. So, well, Sean, Danny, thanks so much for your time. We could probably go on for uh, many more hours talking about this, but I think we've covered a huge amount of ground today. Um, it was really interesting talking about China battery technology, charging and uh, EV product. Um, but let's do this again sometime soon. I would love to. Thanks for having us on.